Okay, well, about this time in our study of Galatians, we, the Lord of the angel armies, the God of the angel armies, is sending in his reinforcements, and we are going to uh, just familiarize ourselves with some concepts and themes that we've already heard, as well as introduce a new one. And I would like to begin Galatians chapter 5 by going to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence. We are just so thankful for this word that you have provided for us to learn about and to study, Lord. I just ask that you teach through my words, and thank you for giving me these words to share. And Lord, I just pray that we will be changed and renewed through the transforming of our minds and our hearts, Lord, and that we can just go from this place as new women, free in Christ, and just so eager to serve you with that love that you impart into our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Galatians chapter 5. Winding down a little bit. Let's look at verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Christ indeed gave his life to set us free from sin and the law. Christ came to set us free, but not free to do whatever we want and become slaves again to our selfish desires and habits. Thanks to Christ, we are now free and able to live totally unselfishly, something that was impossible for us to do on our own, but not so that we can have our own way and through this fall back into a life of sin and disobedience to God. Satan knows this for very well, and when he wages war against us, his primary battlefield is our minds. Satan's main target is our mind because the most effective way to influence our behavior is to influence our thinking. Our minds are the control centers of our existence, and we can so easily stray off the path of freedom in Christ. So be very wary of what you occupy your mind with. You've heard the saying, our thoughts become words, our words become actions, our actions become habits, our habits become our character, and our character determines our destiny. And so we're going to expand a little bit more on that character in a minute. We act out of what we believe, and many times not out of what we know we ought to do. Satan knows full well that nothing is more, and nothing and nobody is more powerful than God. But if he gets, to, gets us to believe his lies, he wins. I believe Satan cannot read our minds, but he pays close attention to how we act and react in certain situations and seeks to use this against us over and over again. We sometimes accept certain tendencies towards sin on ourselves, even re without realizing that we don't have to. We have the God-given ability to say no to them. Sometimes we carry on a family weakness that we shouldn't, such as bad tempers, unforgiveness, and pride that can affect others around us and even our children. 
Unlike physical traits, tendencies towards sin are something we don't have to accept as an inheritance from our parents and grandparents. These tendencies are nothing more than the unopposed acceptance of a firmly entrenched lie of the enemy. He wants us to believe that we are not a new creation in Christ and that we have not been set free from our old nature and habits. Christ truly has set us free from our past mistakes, and he has fully forgiven us to live a new life in him. So let's turn a few pages over to Colossians chapter 2. I'd like to read verses 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This tells us that Satan lost all authority at the cross, and Christ overcame the forces of evil. We need to pray, Lord, help me to stand firm in the freedom you have secured for me. Make me aware when I am accepting some bondage in my life for which you died to set me free. Jesus in John 8.36 tells us that whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So let's seek to walk forward in this freedom. So let's turn now to verses 4 through 6. In Galatians chapter 5. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Humanly trying to save ourselves by attempting to keep all of God's laws sets us up for failure and separates us from God. We are saved by God's grace through faith. We've heard that before. Not by works, but love for God and others is the response of those who God has forgiven. In Luke 7:47, Jesus says, Those who are forgiven much, love much. When Paul says you have fallen away from grace, he does not mean that you have lost your salvation. That is secured in Christ. Our faith, though, can be monitored in our expressions and acts of love to God and to others. Let's look at verses 7 through 10. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. 
A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough means that it only takes one wrong person to influence and affect others. So beware. We know who the author of confusion is, that sinister minister of fear and deception, Satan himself. Don't let him hijack your faith and keep you from obeying God's truth. Now moving on to verse 13. We're moving right along here. (laughs) You, my sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So emphatically, he writes, For you were called to freedom, sisters, but we are not to use this freedom for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves, which we learned meant to be bound to one another. We are not slaves to sin anymore because we have been freed to do right and live righteously and glorify God. Our only motivation should be this agape, Christ-like love. A question to ask ourselves is, how are we exhibiting our faith and love in how we react to and treat others around us? So then beginning in verse 16 and following, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to park here for a little while. Let's read the verses first. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Familiar words? Sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. So in your Bibles, different versions may have different words here for the sinful nature um, descriptions. But mine says sexual, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What a long list, almost as long as Brit's list. (laughs) Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So here in the last couple of verses, we see the nine character qualities that speak of the theme as the fruit of the Spirit. This is not the fruits. This reference means that the fruit of the Spirit is love, which is used to signify the visible evidence of his work in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, the visible evidence of his work in us. 
In John chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of the vine and the branches. Here he emphasizes that we are to abide in him as the branches abide or stay connected to the vine. The result of this close fellowship with God will be manifested as fruit. He will produce visible markers in our lives that identify us as his children. Consequently, our lives should not only bear evidence of God, but this evidence should be attractive and beneficial to others. God created and blessed us to be a blessing to those around us. He will work in us and through us to minister to others. John 15 verse 8 tells us to bear much fruit. This comes with maturity in our walk with Christ and serving others. It is our assignment to serve, and we are called to go, which means it is not a passive assignment. And we are called to bear, which means that we carry on that which God continually produces in and through us. He wants this fruit to endure and make a lasting difference for his kingdom. So what is this fruit? Well, we all know what apples, oranges, grapes, and bananas look like. We can easily recognize physical fruit. But what is the spiritual sense of fruit? This fruit refers to the results of the believer's walk with God. These are the character qualities produced as we abide with Christ. So I'd like you to say them with me. The first three are just one syllable. So it's love, joy, peace. The next set are two syllables. Patience, kindness, goodness. And lastly, the three-syllable ones, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How attractive we will become to others as we allow Christ to change our character into his and experience these amazing results. In Ephesians 2.8, when it tells us that we have been saved by grace through faith, verse 10 tells us that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. God clearly has a plan and purpose for each of our lives, which will be unique and significant, because the outcome of his working in us ought to be his working through us. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As you seek to serve the Lord and bear fruit for him, he will give you more and more and more opportunities to share his love and your unique gifts will become more and more evident over time. So love, joy, peace, those are the characteristics of a strong faith life. Andrew Murray describes them this way. Love, true devotion to God, to believers, and to all people. Joy, the proof of the provision for every need of courage and faith for the works we have to do. I might add that this joy is an inner well-being as contrasted to happiness, 
which is based on outward circumstances. Peace, the blessed state of undisturbed, undisturbed rest and security in which God can keep our hearts and minds. One of my very favorite Bible verses is Isaiah 26.3, which says, He will keep in perfect peace she whose mind is steadfast because she trusts in you. That's Isaiah 26.3. Patience. All scripture bears witness to God's patience, and we praise him for that. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is patient, not, in, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. This attribute will enable us to exercise divine patience with sinners and those that do wrong so that they may be saved. Kindness. We read wonderful things in the Psalms about God's kindness. Psalm 103 speaks of his unfailing mercy and love towards those who fear him. God can enable us to show this same mercy towards all those around us. Goodness. Only God is truly good, and all goodness comes from him. He gives to his children as each heart asks and desires. This goodness is manifested in sympathy and love to all in need. Gentleness. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle. The Holy Spirit longs to impart gentleness into our hearts. Faithfulness believes in God's word, clings to him, and waits in perfect trust that his power will accomplish all that he has promised. Self-control enables us to use restraint carefulness, and unselfishness in our desires and in all our relationships. Titus 2.12 tells us that we should live in this evil world with self-control, right conduct, and devotion to God. We should show self-control in all our dealings with the world and its temptations. Seek to be righteous in doing, doing God's will and live in close communion with God himself. And so I, uh, Galatians 5, 22 through 23 is an excellent passage of scripture to memorize. And I think you're well on your way to doing that. So uh, finally, let's read verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. God is interested in every part of our lives so as we seek to live by the Holy Spirit's power, we need to submit every aspect of our lives to God, our physical and our emotional, intellectual, social, vocational. Paul writes, you're saved, so be sure and act like it. The Holy Spirit is the source of your new life, so walk with him. Don't let anything or anyone else determine your values and standards in any areas of your life. So in summary, I would like to like for you to think about these questions. And they're from a commentary by Warren Wearsby. We've heard his name before. First question, are you standing free? Your freedom in Christ is a costly thing, for it costs Jesus his life. In him you stand free. The yoke of the law has been removed. 
And if you need a scripture for that, it's Acts 15, 6 through 11. Second question, are you falling? To fall from grace does not mean to lose one's salvation. It means to move out of the sphere of grace into the sphere of the law. It means to substitute regulations for a personal relationship with the Lord. Are you running on course? Or has false teaching gotten you on a detour? Are you being leavened? Jesus used leaven to picture sin in Matthew 16. Like yeast, false teaching is introduced quietly. It grows secretly, and soon it affects every part of your life. Are you serving others? Freedom brings with it the responsibility to serve. Love motivates us to fulfill the law of God. And are you walking in the Spirit? Life, not law, changes behavior. And as you yield and surrender to the Holy Spirit, Christ's life is manifested in the fruit of the Spirit. So, sisters, let's start walking in this true freedom. Let's go forth from here with just the transformed mind that we can change those around us through the love that we show them, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And I have uh, put some baskets of apples on your table, and I would like you to each take one if you would like, and that will be a little reminder how you're supposed to go forth and carry on and bear fruit. And so uh, in Zechariah, um, it says that we are the apple of his eye. So I was thinking it would be nice to just be able to have a little reminder to bear that fruit for him. And I really thank you for letting me share. Thank you.